we had maybe two weeks before we had to lock and load, cast the movie and get up to Alberta, Canada. The producer said, we just can't take the risk of not getting it cast in 48 hours. So what do you think about doing it? And I was like, oh, I really don't want to do both. <laughs> that's, a, that's a lot. But at the end, I was like, well, I'm going to be there anyway. Okay, let's go. Right. <laughs> Hello, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America. Today's episode takes us behind the scenes of director Robin Wright's new drama, Land. The film also stars Ms. Wright as Edie, a woman who finds herself unable to stay connected to the world she once knew after suffering immense personal tragedy. She soon decides to retreat to the magnificent but unforgiving wilds of the Rockies and teach herself how to survive. Land is Ms. Wright's feature directorial debut. She has also directed episodes of the series House of Cards. Ms. Wright spoke with director Amy Redford about filming Land in front of a virtual audience. Listen on for their spoiler-filled conversation. Hi, everybody. It is my great pleasure to be here with the relentlessly talented Robin Wright uh, to have a discussion about her first directorial debut film, Land. I'm so glad everybody could be here for this conversation. I'm honored and super excited. Hi, Robin. Hey, how you doing? Good. Um, well, congratulations are in order. It's a beautiful film and it's timely and so um, well executed. Uh, and I just want to say thank you for making this film because you oh. never get to make your first film again. <laughs> and you did it with a lot of uh, courage and a lot of conviction. And I'm sure you've had a lot of different stories come your way. And this was a courageous one to take on. Um, so thank you on behalf of a lot of us who oh, need that. Thank you so much. Yeah, right. yeah. And thank you for doing this. Thank you for doing the, the of moderation. Course, of course, of course. I mean, the story seems so, and there's, there's so much to unpack. Um, and I'll just sort of dive into the, to the story to begin with, because it seems so prophetic, you know, we're, we're in a moment of examining our, our relationship with isolation and you had the drive to make this film in advance of the pandemic. Um, so can you speak a, a little bit to why this, the themes of not only isolation, but human decency and kindness uh, uh, were important to you uh, to explore? Uh, yeah, it, the script came to me about three years ago and it was during the time when we were all witnessing and many were experiencing uh, loss during the random shootings that were going on almost bi-weekly. And I remember reading the script at the same time feeling what I feel everybody was feeling every day. How, how are these people finding their way? How did they get through that kind of loss? Um, and I thought maybe this would be a good moment in time to re-remind the message of we need each other. And human kindness is, I think, what helps us have a renewed sense of faith and hope to live again in a new way, to find a new window in which to live. Take somebody else to pull you through when you're facing adversity like that. And then experiencing this last year of COVID, 
and we had to do post-production on the movie this whole year. So we, we should have come out a year ago and it got oh, delayed. Wow. And I thought, wow, isn't that interesting timing that it happened to come out right now when we've all been experiencing this kind of isolation and many people experiencing loss. And I just thought, this is about healing, how one can heal, how you can transform your pain. And generally that happens with, with the help of another. Well, that, uh, you know, that first seating when you first receive the script and, you know, those things sort of line up is, is such a critical moment. Um, can you uh, speak to a little bit of how, you know, you, the, the script came to you and, you know, how you begun, began to put uh, the wheels on the bus? Because I know that the imagining of this project has gone through quite an evolution, you know, not only that you were the last addition to the cast, but you know, where you were gonna shoot, your shooting strategy. So um, I attribute a lot of your agility to your craft as an actor as well, to know what you want when you see it. Um, but can you just speak to the genesis of the project a little bit more in depth? Yeah, the, again, the fact that it came to me at that time three years ago, and I felt like it was an answer of relief, not an answer of absolute resolution for everyone who's experienced grief and loss, but just about human kindness. The last four years of this administration, that was also a factor. Just the encouragement to be cruel, the encouragement to be mean, and the social media amplification of that. Um, and all the advocates behind it. I just thought, why not just put the positive message out there? And so that was the genesis of why this particular script versus another one to direct as the first film. Um, I felt like human beings, they, we wanna feel that optimism and it's so empowering this story in the end that this character realizes doing it alone, and I'm not saying this is for everybody, this was one person's journey. Um, she realized that she needed the connectedness of love of her family. And he gave her that. And then she in turn gave him redemption. And that's what we, you know, we talk about every day during COVID, how much we miss each other, how much we miss hugging and being connected and being in the same room with each other. And uh, I don't know, that just, with such a beautiful connective tissue in this movie that that I wanted to show, well, and and the the framing of uh, of her pain and her journey in nature is such a character in the film. Um, you know, it's it's seems to be um, you know it is such an important element and dynamic that she puts herself in. Why was that important to you to have a script that incorporated that framing of nature? I, I mean, personally, it's medicine for me. Um, and having grown up camping since I was two, uh, you feel the benefits of communing with nature. 
but you have to first respect it. And that's what was so interesting about this arc is that she is on a one track mine. I just want to do the tasks to hopefully survive. And nature is a beast and it kicks her butt. And to have someone come to the rescue and say, I'm going to teach you how to do it properly and how to respect nature so that they welcome you in as a resident. So that nature being a character was a huge part of developing this movie. How do we want to hear nature in the beginning? How does she hear it? Versus how does she hear it once she's communing with it in the end? You know, it's not her, it's her enemy in the beginning and it becomes her friend. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, her journey is quite remarkable in that there is a succumbing, you know, um, to the power of it all. It's, uh, I, I would love to touch a little bit on um, some of your production process. I mean, your uh, producers have spoken so highly of you and seem to really have um, signed up for your vision from the outset. Um, and, you know, Laura having background in casting obviously was probably helpful to you in many, many ways. Um, can you speak a little bit about your relationship with your producers and how that evolved? Alan Stewart um, brought the project to me. And the fact that she and Big Beach Productions, Leah Holzer and Peter Seraf and Laura Kennedy, that we all saw the same vision for this movie. We all wanted that message to be shared. And out of the gate, we were like, great, at least we're all on the same page because we all know what that's like, right? Fighting with the producers about what, what do you want the tone of your film to be? Um, and then to have, I've never had the experience of four weeks of prep. That was like heaven to be able to have discussions, multiple about how you want it to look. What do you want the tone of this scene to be? Um, and then at the last minute, we didn't have time to cast the movie. We got financed so quickly after waiting a year, a little bit over a year to get financed. You know, we were trying to sell it like a used car. Nobody was biting. We went to Cannes. And then Focus Features was our last meeting. And they said, we love the idea of that message. We think that message needs to be put out into the world today because of what we've all been experiencing with the ugliness in our country. And um, we like, we had maybe two weeks before we had to lock and load, cast the movie and get up to Alberta, Canada where we got a tax break to shoot. Cause of course we would have loved to shoot in Wyoming or Montana and we just didn't have the money. And um, the producer said, we just can't take the risk of not getting it cast in 48 hours. So what do you think about doing it? And I was like, oh, I really don't want to do both. <laughs> that's, a, that's a lot. <laughs> um, but at the end, I was like, well, I'm going to be there anyway. Okay, let's go. Yeah, keep living. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was such a good choice. I mean, you know, the... the um, the way in which you obviously investigated her, not only from the story, but as a character and knew, you know, exactly um, where she needed to be at every moment. 
um, you know, was, was so palpable. It's, uh, it, it, let's talk about your pre-production a little bit because it was pretty wild. It seems like there was some elements to that that were, um, you know, sort of uh, evolving in the moment. I mean, I understand that your uh, production designer, Trevor Smith, you know, because that cabin is such a character in the film, um, built the whole cabin, tore it all down, brought it back up to where you guys were shooting. Can you, can you speak to a, a little bit of that? I mean, I'll, we'll get into Bobby Bukowski too in a minute, who um, is one of my all-time favorites, but um, you know, I'd love to know what that was like and how it was unique to this film and how you, know, you speak to how great it was. What was it about that, that pre-production that was so valuable to you? I, Trevor Smith is not only a great production designer, but he's a director. He's just a natural director. So he was thinking not only about what are the trinkets that are in that cabin that she purchases that used to be in an old man's cabin. He was looking at the scope of um, when I build it, Robin, and I'm gonna show you computer generated images, 3D. We need to think about where it sits on the mountain does the sun rise at the front of the cabin and set in the back or go over the other side? We need to talk to Bobby Bukowski about that. Lighting, we don't wanna have much artificial light in the cabin. So where do we place those windows? Where do you want the slits in between the logs to be, Bobby, to hit Robin's face when she's at the sink? It was, he's, he's so ahead of the game thinking about the, the final draft of the film, you know, not just the couch and the fabrics um, and the life in which was lived in that cabin before. Yeah. You feel it. Of, yeah. And we had to cut out yeah. so much stuff. We had great footage of her discovering that old man's life. Yeah. Just montage. You feel it. You feel you it. Do? Oh, good. Okay. Because we couldn't okay. afford to keep it. In. <laughs> yeah. Because it's not all consistent. You know, some looks like it's been there for hundreds of years and some looks like it was bought from Savers, you know, so right. it's, it's kind of wonderful in that. And it makes it feel a little bit more real and, you know, again, like lived in. Um, yeah, it was, it was, it was amazing because for a production designer, so much of the production design is nature. You know, there's there's so much of that that is in essence, uh, you know, just you turn on your camera, right? And so, um, I was interested to see where he fit in, and it's it's fascinating to know how meticulous that process was. Very meticulous, and he, I mean, that's just the beautiful part about being able to direct is that you get to work and collaborate with all of the departments. And they're bringing new ideas to your palette every day that you just didn't think of. And being the architects of the same building, you're like, we're all directing this movie. You know, it's never just one person. And that was an incredible experience. Well, you, this is not your first time in the director's chair. I mean, you directed multiple episodes of, of House of Cards and you know, it seems like what people have perceived about you. I think Bobby even said about you when you did the wonderful Rampart that you had a director's mind. 
Um, so what was it about directing a feature um, that was important to you in this moment of your career? Well, you know, directing a series, a House of Cards, we had to adhere to a very specific style. We couldn't use certain lenses. We couldn't use Steadicam. We couldn't use handheld. Um, that was very specific and structured. So it was almost like being in school where you say, okay, we're just gonna start with this style and let's see how you can allow your style to, to be basically infuse without destroying the template that David Fincher set for that show. And doing this movie was like breaking out of, I don't wanna say confinement in a negative sense, but you were confined on House of Cards. You had to work within these parameters. And Land was like, hey, Bobby, let's go design this movie. What do we want these shots to be like? What lens do we wanna use? Do we wanna be handheld? And he's such a great handheld operator. Um, and wanting to get in to the, you know, I yeah. want, wanting the, the audience to go on the journey with her, not just be a viewer of it. Well, it doesn't, it's, it isn't voyeuristic in that way. I mean, we're with you in, in all of it, you know, there, um, let's talk about Bobby for a second, because, you know, he, he kind of like the way that he spoke of you in terms of what, you know, here we have this beautiful landscape and we have this incredible, um, you know, scenery, but for him, the most important thing was uh, your face. And he said to, hmm. to be able to go on the journey with you in terms of, you know, what, uh, what you were offering um, in, you know, he said that, that in all the majesty of the landscape around her, it stands that the most moving, wondrous and profound element to shoot was the depth of emotion in her eyes and face. If I was only able to tell the story with one shot size, it would be a close-up of her face. That would say everything, oh. you know, um, which is pretty incredible. So um, I would love to hear a little bit about that, what seems like a very intimate collaboration. I know he lived in the cabin and, you know, would often just, you know, say, hey, Robin, go sit down. This incredible thing is happening. So can you speak a little bit about that collaboration? He is not only a man of nature, I think he would, you know, on his own volition, choose to sleep in a tent 265 days out of the year anyway. Um, and when he said, I'm going to sleep on the mountain, I said, well, so are we. So the producer and I slept in our trailers at base camp above the cabin. And he literally did that so that he could have the camera available to him. If a storm happened at three in the morning, he would wake up and he would capture it. Um, and he had to be my director so much of the time because emotional scenes in the cabin, I wanted everybody cleared out. And I was like, if you're handheld, can you just be in here with me? And I would do a take and, and he was like, that's great, but I, I want to come around a little bit more to the front. Can you give me this line again? And then let me move over here and then maybe uh, don't cry. Like you did that on those two angles, don't cry. So we had 
this almost co-directing relationship in those moments, yeah. Yeah. And you had to have, you have to, when you're in front of the camera and you're behind the camera, you have to have an incredible team, your backbone, which is these three female producers that were in the tent every day watching everything that I did. And I could just lean out of the cabin and go, was that good or did it suck? And they'd be like, (laughs) it sucks, do it again, you know? So you have to trust everybody. And I did, I had the trust in them. That's amazing. I mean, there's so much, um, you know, if, if you take that chance to be in the director's chair and in front of the camera, there is a lot you have to give over, but you know, there's, there's a lot of precision. Um, the, I'm sort of curious in terms of like, there's a couple of images that just stand out to me so clearly, you know, one was what I see thematically as part of like what you, you set up was her rebirth, right? And there's this moment where she comes in from the storm and she's got the tether around her waist. Um, and it's almost like, you know, this canal, this, you know, or she, and then she collapses on the ground and she just looks like this embryo, this, this fetus with this umbilical cord, um, you know, that, that certifies. I'm stealing that. That's so good. Oh, I thought it was so (laughs) deliberate. (laughs) Maybe it's just my crazy brain, but I mean, how many of those images, because there's so many beautiful images, how many of those did you set in advance or did they sort of evolve in the process of telling the story? We would discuss every night after wrap, we would go into my trailer. So it'd be Bobby, the AD and the producers. We would go in and we would discuss, yes, we did a map in pre-production of the scene, but now that we're up here, we're living up here. We are discovering things we didn't know when we were down in Calgary in the production office. When we were imagining, oh, we're on a mountain and you've got the wind and you've got the rain and you've got a blizzard. Nothing like talking about it until you are actually embedded in it. So every night we basically redid our notes and went like, let's get tighter or let's get wider because the unpredictable weather patterns that we were up against in Alberta were also dictating the change in schedule every night. So we would plan to shoot a summer scene the next day. That was on the schedule from day one. Nope, there is gonna be four feet of snow by tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. So we'd have to rejig and then talk about how do we wanna shoot that? We didn't expect to have falling snow in this winter scene. We thought snow was gonna just be on the ground. So that would change the angles. And, but like I said, Bobby would do, when he was just me and him in the cabin, he would have that camera on his shoulder and he would just keep moving around and just getting different angles because we couldn't afford to have B camera in there if he wanted to right. circle. Um, he's very much, uh, he's so spontaneous and he is at one with that camera. So that was a blessing. Did you, um, I mean, at what point in your process did you integrate Ben Soleil and the Time for Three music? Was that something that you had in your brain while you were shooting or is that a later part of your process? Or what was the role of, of sound and music as you were going through this? Yeah, well, um, Alan Stewart, our producer turned me on to Time for Three. 
uh, before we started making the movie. And she said, well, just tell me what you think of this trio. I called her, I was weeping. I was like, it's some of the most moving music I've ever heard. And I kept playing it while I was prepping to do a scene where you needed to get emotional. And it just brought tears and heart. And then yes, lived with it through the movie and it, I put it in the assembly. Their songs that were already produced and I couldn't let go of them. Okay. You know, you hear other things and people are like, well, you gotta get out of your assembly box. I was like, I can't get out of that box. And I had known about Ben Soleil for years and he is an incredible artist, musician, but he sort of orchestrated, he became, because they'd never composed a film before, Time for Three. They just play oh, live wow. and travel around. Right. And they're so raw. Like they do, this is how they worked. We were remote. We were doing the sound design, the score, the editing, everything on Zoom the whole time. Like I'm sure a lot of people did this year. And it was so difficult to not be in the room with them as they were playing to picture. And I said, how do you want me to direct you? And Nick, one of the violinists said, what's really great, and this is how we work as a trio, is we ask the audience to give us a scenario. Like, we want you to play a piece as if you're a seven-year-old and you're sitting in your room and you're watching TV and all of a sudden you hear the ice cream truck and you jump up and you run out the house down the sidewalk and you're chasing after that ice cream truck because you don't want to let it go and you really want an ice cream cone. And they would play a piece of music that enacted just that. So I got to play with them in story and that's how they came up with the sounds that were so similar to songs that I loved that they had already produced. I was like, oh, please don't lose that element of heart that you have in that song that we can't use. Right. And Ben Soleil was kind of orchestrating them and he uses instruments. I don't even know what they're made of. Like he'll take the cup from the thing and the side of the baseboard. And the, <laughs> he just creates these instruments and makes sounds. And that was such an important part of the movie. Forget about sound design score. The movie needed to feel, is that music or is that the wind? Is that music or is that the rain falling on the aspen trees? And he brought those sounds into this trio. It was just a beautiful combination of the four. Amazing. So I, um, you know, it's interesting to see that, uh, you know, so many of these people you've worked with before, and I'd love to talk a little bit about your cast. Um, I mean, Damien, I hope I'm saying his name correctly. It yeah. was, was so, um, it felt so lived in. And so, you know, your, your, your you know, his performance is so disciplined. Um, so I'd love to know a little bit about your choice in him and, you know, some of your other cast, uh, castmates, Kim, uh, Talk about what that process was for you. Originally, the script um, didn't have Miguel as a Hispanic. It was a native. And I just didn't want to get that wrong. So I, I, yeah. It was too. And 
Aaron Dignam told me about this organization called Dig Deep. It's one organization. Uh, I think they're here in California. Um, one of the only ones in America who literally hires people to deliver fresh water to the reservations where they can't access it. And most of the employees are Hispanic and they live in and around these reservations. So I was like, okay, good. It's authentic. It's true. It's viable. We can prove it. Um, we're not going to get nailed for getting it wrong. And you get submitted a few names and I knew I couldn't get some of the other actors to play this role. And I watched him in a better life and was blown away by the soul of this man, the way it translated to the screen. I was like, he's so underrated. I wanna see him more. I want more of him. He has the most gentle, open eyes. I was like, he's born to play this part. And he read the script in under two hours, called me and said, I need to do this movie. And I said, come over. He walked <laughs> in the door and it was like we had known each other our whole life. You know, when you meet those people in yeah. life where you're just like, I've known you forever. I don't know why. We don't yeah. even have to talk about it. And so the chemistry, the dynamic that we are in this movie, that's us. And it was from the minute we met. And he said, I need to do this for my own personal reasons because he had an unfathomable event happen to him. And he had gone through months of healing. By the time he met me, he was maybe six months in. And he said to me, Edie is not in her six month phase yet. And I see that as Miguel, I see where she is and I know how far she has to go. And I'm going to lead her through those tunnels and let her see that there's light at the end. And I was like, wow. You get you're it. Hired. And <laughs> you're hired. I was like, you're so, I was like, you're, yes, you're totally hired. And he's like, well, and room, no, he's like, can I'm you sure give you me know. one? No, I was just going to say, I'm, you know what it means when somebody says, I need to do this movie. I mean, as an actor, you know what that means yeah. and what that's going to bring. You know, you bring oh, it. Completely um, different beast, right? Yeah. Where you don't have to tell them anything. He just, imbued it was just natural yeah well you mentioned Aaron uh, Dignam who you collaborated with on a movie Loved and and I was actually thinking about that movie because that character that you played in that movie had such a solitary uh, existence you know um, and and what that idea of love is to her is so deliberate you know and and for Edie you know there's so many scenes and there's so many moments that are so precise when when she says you know um you know when he's, when the therapist says well don't you want to have people share in your pain and she's like why would i share that you know and and people just need me to be better and so i need to not be around people right it's so um it's so courageous in terms of the way you're uh allowing us into her her essence. Um, and I would love, I mean, I know that, you know, the, the story was uh, written by Jesse Chatham. Um, and, you know, that was sort of his, his uh, brainchild and, and his 
encapsulated the story and that um, it, I just, there were moments who it felt very much in the keeping of the Aaron Dignam. Can you talk a little bit about that writing process and, and what that was for you? Well, as you know, she's so gifted with the way we actually exchange in a conversation. It doesn't always have to be so linear. We don't always have to stick to the topic. And when she was writing these things, we, we would discuss beforehand, I don't wanna give the story away. We, I don't need so much exposition. Is there a way to keep the audience engaged with how sparse that exposition is? Are people gonna get bored? Um, and she goes, I got it. I got it figured out. We, what you do is you just give them a crumb, like saying, well, why, why don't you share your pain? Just the word share. And she, we would talk about that for 30 minutes. Well, what does that yeah. mean? And then we would, because Aaron plays the therapist in the movie. Yeah, I know. Did so you notice great. that? <laughs> yeah. I was like, you're so such a great happy. therapist. Oh yeah. She's like, I don't wanna, I'm not gonna be on camera. I said, yes, you are. I'll just keep you in silhouette. Um, but she is such a great therapist naturally. And we, we discussed it ad nauseum, just about how to not do the fast food version of this movie, you know? we did so many iterations in the editing room. Like we shot the shooting. We shot the night that it happened, the event. Uh -huh. And we shot scenes that Aaron wrote and added to Jesse's script, scenes of the past, Edie's past with her family. And I got in the editing room and Aaron looked at the movie with me and we were like, take them out. Just right. have faith in the audience that they will wait. The mystery will hold till the right. end. Fascinating. Yeah, there's a, um, it, there is a lot of faith in the audience, you know, and, and that's sort of what I was saying, like you never get to make your first film again because you don't know better, right? Yeah, <laughs> you don't know ways. better. <laughs> this is what I'm doing, so I don't know. I know. Um, but, you know, it is that faith in the audience. Is It is like, you know, I mean, there's movies where you have women in solitude who are going on a journey, you know, like wild or, you know, I mean, you know, or, or people in general who are throwing themselves into the abyss in order to figure out who they are. Um, and yet the, the plot part of this is a slow reveal. You know, you understand mm -hmm. that something devastating has happened. Um, but in the same way that, uh, that Miguel isn't pushy and isn't asking her to crack open before um, she can, it's like, that's what happens in the movie too, right? It's, uh, right. it's you know, there's there's a moment when it's okay to know this um, and it's and it's necessary. And before that, it's not really because it's, it's emblematic of so many people's journey. There isn't one size fits all to grief, um, right. you know, and, and the evolution of that. And it's not about, you know, the voyeurism of what happened, it's about, where she is as a human being and her healing process. Um, so I, I quite, I quite like that bit. 
that you didn't tell us. Well, that's great. Um, I'm so happy to hear that. <laughs> I hope other people did too. It was very courageous. Um, so, so tell me a little bit about some of your other cast members. I mean, Sarah Dawn Pledge and and Kim Dickens. Tell me about how they came into your world and um, and yeah, I know you'd worked with Kim before. How did you meet Sarah? T talk to me a little bit about them. Well, when you shoot in Canada, as you know, you have to you have to cast mostly Canadians and crew. So you get, I think, three non-Canadian parts that you can cast. And one of those was Bobby Bukowski. So it's not just actors. Um, oh, right. Being an American, yeah. So I was like, okay. So I had two, so I, I, of course I wanna see these Canadian tapes and of course, Sarah was just, what a, an amazing face she has. The stillness of her face is, it's a painting to me. And she just did an incredible reading and was so honored to be in the movie. She just loved, everyone that joined this little film really loved the message of it. Not just, oh, I love my part or I love the, you know, the producer. Or the, they really loved the message. And you could feel that on set. So when I reached out to Kim, and yes, we had worked together in House of Cards, and I always loved just her vibe. She just was the most easygoing, fun-loving, and natural actress. And we had always said to each other on the show, we could be sisters. Because so sometimes people would walk up to me on the stage and think, they'd be like, Kim, Kim. I'm like, it's Robin. Oh, yeah, sorry. You know, same color hair, same for me. And she just popped into my mind. I was like, she, I want her to play the sister. I know that we'll have that kind of energy that's natural because we are like that with each other as pals having worked together. Um, you know, she feels like a sister and she was willing to come on board and basically be the bookend of this movie. I said, it's not a big part. And we had more scenes to shoot with the sisters and it just didn't, it didn't fit. Those scenes didn't need to be there. Less was more. And she was gung-ho, ready, ready to do it. Well, both of the, those women, you know, make, there's a certain accountability that they demand of Edie. You know, is you are putting other people in danger, or you know, if you hurt yourself, you hurt me, right? So there is. I I love how they they sort of are part of why she ends up staying in it. You know, is to be able to go back to that hospital and eyeball her, and you know, and then same with her sister, of course. Um, well, and like wrapping this up a little bit, I mean, I could stay here for another hour and a half or so, but um, uh, I would love to know a little bit about where you are as a director and what, you know, I mean, obviously this, I think this movie gets spanked and out in the world tomorrow. Is that correct? Is that? Yeah. We're on <laughs> in, this, the eve of, in this um, weird world that we're in. Yeah. Yes. It well, is opening I, in theaters. I know it's bizarre. Well, and, and that's what I like is the, yeah. So we need everybody to go see it, first of all. And second of all, um, you know, I, I, I wanna know a little bit about today, now that you're, you're setting that free, where are you headed 
do you think? Is there, do you have another project that you're working on right now? Or are you staying in the acting chair? Or what, what do you want for yourself as a director? There is, yeah, I, I've got, got the bug for sure. I love it so much. Um, I'm going to direct a couple of episodes of Ozark, season four of Ozark. Oh. So that's coming oh up in goodness. a minute. I know, I love that right. show. And then I would love to direct a comedy after this one. This was beautiful and uplifting and it was a lot. And I would like to be behind the camera next time and not be in front as well. <laughs> Do you have one in mind yet or are you still searching? Well, it's already been made. It's called Annie Hall and it's really a bummer because you know, been there, done that. You would never want to remake that movie, but something smart, comedic like that would be incredible. Yeah. All right. You have about 400,000 writers right now, like running to their computers. <laughs> Good. Right. Right. Yes. Well, congratulations, Robin. It's been such Thank an intense you. honor and privilege to talk to you about your film. I wish oh. you all the success that you deserve. And Thank you so much. And thanks for doing this been great talking with you. Oh, yeah, you too. Thank you. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. If you'd like to hear more, The Director's Cut is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Stay tuned in the coming weeks as we bring you discussions of films from Vigo Mortensen, Anthony and Joe Russo, and Julia Hart. And be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We'd love to hear your feedback, and you can help fellow film buffs find the show. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally.